Hello and welcome to Talk Gnosis. We have an incredible show for you today, an action-packed show for you today. We are doing a panel <laughs> about mystical Christianity, esoteric Christianity, whatever you want to call it, inner Christianity. And we have representatives, uh, people involved with basically the, the biggest, most important, uh, <laughs> most relevant uh, modern Christian esoteric slash mystical slash whatever you want to call them. They'll correct me. They'll they'll tell us what, what it should be called, uh, Christian movements. <laughs> Um, and uh, if there's a movement that I'm forgetting who's not represented here, then uh, email me in and we'll have you on next time. So we have uh, Curtis Childs uh, returning back to the show uh, to talk to us about uh, the Swedenborg uh, uh, tradition. Hello, Curtis. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's been a long time. I didn't know if you remembered me, but it's great to be back here. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome to have you back. It has been a long time, uh, six or seven years, I think, at wow. least. Yeah. Um, we will. I, I, I've been mentioning this uh, the, to the guests off air, and I'll mention it again off, on air. We are going to put lots of links in the show notes, uh, so links to past shows uh, about these traditions, if we've covered them, links to uh, uh, these fine people's uh, traditions homepages and their own homepages, lots of links. So if, there's, mm. if you don't know anything about Swedenborg, then watch the show and then click all the links. Okay, Reverend Jonah Evans from the Christian community. Hello, Reverend Evans. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. I'm very, I'm very excited. We're we're really excited to have you. Um, and uh, I, I've already uh, I'm already going to bug you for for a solo show in the future. We we have talked oh. about Rudolf Steiner here on, on Talk mm. Gnosis, but but we've never talked about the Christian community. And mm -hmm. it's always been a a movement, a community that that's always fascinated me. And it seems like you folks do incredible work. So I think it's going to be a really awesome show today. And then I'm already wasting your time in the future for when we book you for that. So everybody, look forward to that show. We have Bishop Scott Rosbach, His Excellency, newish to the East Coast-ish of America. Uh, welcome back to the show, Bishop Rosbach. It's a real pleasure and honor to have you. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon John. It's a pleasure to be here. I love being on here. And now that I have a better setup, I hope I could do it more often. Yes, yes, mm. we, we definitely want to, to have you uh, back on on the regular. So, uh, so so I did the little intros, but before we dive in, we're going to keep doing some intros. Uh, Curtis, I know this is difficult, but could you give us the elevator speech about what the Swedenborg <laughs> movement is, what I should be calling it, the Swedenborg church, yeah. the Swedenborgians, um, yeah. what, what, the Borgs? Uh, so this, you, you tell me. This was this is kind of a homecoming for me, because you said I was on this show like six years ago, which is forever ago in internet time and that was yeah. one of the first programs i ever appeared on and i remember um one of you had the intro line which is like we're not talking about a scandinavian star trek spinoff but we are going to talk about swedenborg and that I'm just i was laughing like, at my own joke here man that was good it's ingenious it's, it's yeah. well it stuck with me obviously um so swedenborg um yeah i'll, I'll give you my elevator speech uh, of first of, of who i am um, I am Curtis Childs and I work for the Swedenborg Foundation and the Swedenborg Foundation gets its name from Emanuel Swedenborg, who I think a Christian mystic is a great label for him. Mm -hmm. He was, the, the thing started with him and really was with, with this series of books that he wrote. He was a rock star scientist. So he was at, at as you could be back in those days, he was at the leading edge of multiple fields of science. It's he was also an inventor. He had started the first scientific journal in Sweden. He was working for the Swedish mining industry, which was a major industry for one of the world's powers at the time. He was uh, assessor of mines there. He was in the Swedish government in the House of Nobles. So he's doing all these things. And he was fairly well-known, fairly famous in Europe. 
And then he started to have these mystical experiences and uh, in his mid fifties. And after that wrote, took his voracious appetite for learning and for writing because he had published volumes and volumes of scientific literature. And for the rest of his life was reporting, having these experiences daily and then writing this incredibly complex, comprehensive description of uh, spiritual reality, Christianity, the, what he believed was the meaning of the Bible in, in 30 volumes over the, the last 30 years of his life. life um, Swedenborg Foundation, where I work, is, is 170 years old, and it's been publishing and, and keeping his books translated uh, over that time. Uh, it was only recently that we branched out into what I'm mainly involved in now, which is we, we make YouTube explainer videos because his material is, there's a lot of it and it's philosophical. And it's also, it's like, it's weird. It, it's got the Christianity <laughs> stuff, but it's also got these spiritual experiences. And I mean, you were referencing that if people say, well, what's this weird thing you're involved in? And it's got a really weird name. Swedenborgianism is often what the religious movement is called. Um, although, yeah, there was a letter where somebody was calling in his day, writing to him and saying Swedenborgianism. He's like, it's not Swedenborgianism. It's true Christianity, which was the name of one of his last books. So uh, there's been a religious movement based on it. Uh, he never started a church, but people have started a couple of churches after his death. They've always been relatively small. I think worldwide, you could say there's maybe 15,000 people in the different churches, but he's also had a, a significant influence outside of church environments on some major thinkers and, and people, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thoreau, Helen Keller was uh, constantly reading Swedenborg's books, wrote, wrote about him. So he's had, it's actually, you know, part of the city of Chicago is designed based on his description of the new Jerusalem. He's had a pretty big impact, but yet stayed mostly under the radar in the, well, this is a pretty long elevator pitch. We'll say like we're on like the 75th <laughs> floor in the, in the like in the 1800s in America, you he when Spiritism was having its moment, he would people knew about him, but when that kind of went out of fashion, people threw him out with that. Although I think he could really fit him into some different categories. And the elevator pitch for what what he wrote is that he was convinced that the Bible is a symbolic text, so it mm -hmm. speaks in the same language that you that you dream in. It's the same language that people read in nature when they're, they're worshiping in nature. And every line of it speaks to, simultaneously speaks to the life of Jesus Christ and your own personal spiritual journey and the human human race's spiritual journey. Um, mm. He he was, uh, actually his works were put on trial in his day because he said that you didn't have to be a Christian to get to heaven. And he explained how and why that worked and also what heaven and hell were. I mean, his experiences were going and touring heaven and hell and, and seeing them and writing about them. And that was what intrigued people most, although he seemed most interested in the, the theology and the life philosophy and was always trying to use his spiritual experiences to steer people back into that. So, all right, I think we're, I think we're on our floor now, but there, there's, there's the, there's the intro. That's beautiful. No, it's <laughs> yeah. extremely cool. And uh, I'll speak for the whole audience, right? I, I think that uh, unless this is somebody's first showing, the first time they're watching the show, which of course is a strong possibility, they're going to be interested in these three movements. But this is generally a show for... Uh, I don't want to say nerds and geeks, super cool people who really yeah. love lots of detail, right? So feel free Subject to- Subject matter experts. Yeah, Subject that's right. Experts. That's yes. that's right. Autodidacts. 
Um, so, uh, so feel free to go long as well, right? Like, if, you know, uh, if you feel like you're going into the weeds, generally, I, I think our audience loves uh, being in the weeds. And if you disagree, uh, uh, email our other host who can't be here, uh, Jason Memel. So that's uh, Jason at NosticWisdom.net. Uh, any complaints you have uh, about length, go to him. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, thank you so much, Curtis. Uh, so talking about um, multi-talented, scientifically-minded Teutonic uh, mystics, uh, Reverend Evans, can you tell us uh, about the uh, the Christian community? Well, I guess if you put it that way, then I just have to say it's amazing how many similarities essentially Rudolf Steiner has with with Swedenborg. Um, of course, a few hundred years later, but... Um, Essentially, he comes out of the scientific tradition, and he basically had an experience of the living Christ Jesus in a free and experiential way. And out of that experience, and out of his own sight and experiences of the spiritual world, similar to Swedenborg, he was able eventually to to found, or he didn't found our religion, he inspired the Christian community. Kind of like, in a way you could imagine it like Moses who goes up on the mountain, the, the quote unquote mountain of spiritual reality and he receives the rituals and sacraments, the forms of the practice from God and delivers them to Aaron Moses is not the priest, but Aaron practices the religious content of what Moses gave him in a way that's similar. Steiner received, he describes that, the sacraments from God, from the Holy Spirit for our time and gave them to Riddlemeyer, Frederick Riddlemeyer, who really is the founder of our church. And then Riddlemeyer became the first priest and ordinations went from there. Um, but you could say the substance of our practice of our religion is really based on the human heart's capacity to come into an encounter with the living Christ today through devotional sacrament. And of course it's somewhat similar to many of your traditions um, but I think the unique part there is that the understanding is that the human being has evolved since even since the last hundred years and needs a new entryway, a new doorway to the living Christ sacramentally. And the Christ Jesus himself has evolved and is expressing himself in a new way today, even since the last hundred years. And so therefore a new form of sacrament and a new slightly tweaked 2.0 version of the Eucharist, so to speak, is needed. And that's really the essence of, of why and why the, the Christian community was born. And so it really has to do with finding Christ, Jesus, in an experiential reality through the sacraments for the modern human being today. Amazing, very powerful. Okay, uh, uh, Bishop Rosbach of the uh, Apost 
Stalict Johanna Knight Church. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure you're not familiar with that, uh, Deacon John. I'm sure that's a, a completely new thing to you. It's completely new to many people because we come out of an ancient tradition in a very modern package. Uh, hmm. The Apostolic Johannite Church is only about 20 years old. We were founded in hmm. 2001. But we tie ourselves into an older tradition, which is called the Johannite tradition. Uh, and we are tied into that through a French gentleman by the name of Bernard Raymond Fabre Palaprat, who tied it into a more ancient tradition through the Templars, who mm. tied it into a more ancient tradition through a gentleman named Theoclete, who traced it all the way back to St. John. And so through these different ties, mm. we are taking part in and expressing something that is very old and yet very new. And so with the, with the combination of those things, I think we have a very unique position. We have this ancient wisdom that's been transmitted to us, but we're applying it in a very modern space. We're using YouTube. We're using Zoom to do the Eucharist and get people to experience that indwelling Christ in an external way. We use the sacraments not as a way to bestow grace, but a way to remind people of their own divinity and to bring the divine into the world. Because part of our statement of principles, which is in that link there, and which is where I kind of tie all of my comments. I try to tie all of my comments back to those statements, because that is the only doctrine that we have written down. That's it. Everything else is opinion. And so I, I want to be clear when I'm talking about my, uh, when I'm talking about the ideas in this thing, I'm not speaking as a bishop for the church. I am speaking of my interpretation of these things, which is what the church teaches. So we have these ancient ideas. We have the idea of the Trinity. We have the idea of the incarnation. We have the idea of the Pentecost and the coming down of the Holy Spirit. We have the idea of the apostolic church and the, the privileged place that Jesus Christ and the apostles have in a historical time. But we also have spiritual ideas where we have St. Philip saying, "Every uh, you strive not to be a Christian, but a Christ. And so you're not trying to follow Jesus, the man. You're trying to embody Christ, the spiritual idea. And through that, you enter into the pneumatic, the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God on earth. And one of the basis of our idea of this is that there is no separation between these things. We have these three ideas of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the pneumatic, the psychic, the hylic. We have those ideas, but there's no difference between them when you get to the point of ultimate reality. When you look at the ineffable God, there's no difference between these things. These categories are useful for talking about things in the mode in which we exist. But they're not true in the sense that they're ontologically real. They're true in the sense that from where we're standing, this is what it looks like. It's like astrology. Astrology is true from where we stand, but it's not true in reality. You can see the sun move through the different houses and through the different constellations, but it's not actually doing that. It just appears that way. So we are trying to get our description as close as possible to what that reality is. And we can't do it. I mean, there's no way to do it because we always stand in a single place. And God, in our 
conception is panentheistic. He is everywhere. He pervades everything. He's outside of everything and calling him, he is wrong. But it's convention. So that's where I, I have trouble with the pronouns. But the, the most high, the divine source, the ultimate repose of all being contains all being and is outside it and exists and is not. And from that particular perspective, everything else descends. So once you have that that perspective, you could start to divide things up more and more as you move closer and closer to where humans live. But that doesn't mean that it's right or true. There are other ways that you could divide it up and still get to that same ineffable place. This is just the way we do it. We think that in the Western culture, the Christian tradition is the way to do it. But the interpretation of that way is very flexible. Right, right. So to sum it up, the apostolic Joannite church is to one true church. That's what you're trying to say. The only, the only path to the truth. Okay, got it. Uh, 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 may, uh, I would not phrase it that tightly. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Reverend Evans, so I, 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 I emailed uh, you all talking about a panel on, on mystical Christianity, but for all I know, maybe nobody here considers their tradition uh, mystical Christianity. But can you tell us, like, what does mystical Christianity mean to you, like individually, you, Jonah Evans, and, and do you feel that your tradition represents a strain of mystical Christianity or, or inner Christianity? Well, it depends on what we mean by mystical, probably, but I mean... If I venture just to a kind of general meaning of what I think most of us mean, it has to do with this, this experience, this gnosis idea. And it seems like even from Curtis and from um, um, Scott. Scott, sorry, Scott, um, there's an experiential reality that something doesn't just want to remain a kind of dogma or based on authority, but... Um, we want to come into an experience of something that changes our hearts. And so I would say any mystical experience, any mystical tradition is focused on or orientated in our church, the same it's orientated to a religious practice that doesn't just stay in, in belief systems or abstractions. Okay. but wants to come into a living reality that actually changes our hearts and our minds and leads us to more love in freedom. So mystical Christianity really would be like something that doesn't stay at dogma or outer belief or outer authority, but leads through its practice to an experience of God. Okay. Uh Curtis Childs, I bet you you know what I'm going to ask next, but uh, same same question. Yes. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So mystical, I I like the, the definition that you just gave, Jonah. I've heard it sometimes technically defined as mystic means you're having spiritual experiences. Mm. So, or or like, I, if, for example, when Swedenborg is called a Christian mystic, it's because he was yeah having out of body experiences and and was Christian. So in that sense, I mean, there's a lot of mysticism mm. in where my tradition comes from. Um, it's not reliant on those things. I've never had a spiritual experience. I've never had like mm. an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience. And yet I feel like I'm benefiting a lot from it. I like the inner Christianity label, mm. though. And I think 
that because oh, why why am I here on on YouTube talking about Christianity? What what hooked me in? A lot a lot of people. Who, I, I did grow up in a Swedenborgian church, but mm. a lot of my peers did, and they don't they don't care about it anymore. So what 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 hooked me? It was the inner experience. It was right. looking at you know I was trying to navigate my way through my own mind and life and the different things that I struggled with, and seeing these concepts or this outline of of how life works and how how your own mind works that that Swedenborg provides through his observations and having that really work for me and for me, me getting, Oh, this is, I recognize what you're saying from the way my thoughts go and the way my feelings go. And it had potency, right? It had power. I always think of the, this story of when Jesus is in the boat and there's a storm and all the disciples are worried and if they wake up and help us. And at one point he wakes up and stops the storm. And then that, the line at the end, when they say, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him to me, it's like, I don't, I don't know what Swedenborg is. I don't know this guy who was alive all those many hundreds of years ago. How would I know? I don't know. And when he tells about something that he saw in his out-of-body experiences, I don't know if that's really how it is. But when I, when I follow what he's saying and apply it to the way I think, and it calms down my anxiety mm-hmm. and my, and my depression, when those wind and waves lie down, right. I'm like, well, there's gotta be some God there, right? God's gotta be coming through this mm-hmm. and, and doing his work in me. And and really, uh, another thing I like about the message uh, in Swedenborg's writings is the, the inner focus uh, of all religion, that, that that's what the church is, is mm-hmm. he, he defines church in its smallest form as the state of your heart and mind. And that a church, mm-hmm. is, every individual person can be a church. And then you can call a larger group of people collectively a church, but it has to be made up of those individual units because you can be, sitting in a pew with a lot of other people but if you never have done taken the the command to love your neighbor as yourself and actually had that make you not honk your horn at someone then then it's there's not there's not really a church there it's not really there so so that and, and also this this fascinating uh how he he was adamant that the bible is all inner when, when we're talking about noah and the flood this is talking about you and this is the, the flood is all he talks about the language of correspondences and that the flood is about falsity and how you go through these times of trial and temptations 40 days and 40 nights are emblematic of the struggles that you go through and so when i'm in my own struggles and i'm seeing oh that the bible is is very you know and if you want to get in the weeds you know he wrote 15 volumes just about uh genesis and most of exodus and and what what these uh-huh. these correspondences are but it's all about what's going on inside you. It's okay. all about that, 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 and that appeals to me because um, that's what our world consists of, right? Is 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 that sure? We we want to think about things that were written about great great people in the past, but what what's really right in front of us is our own little lives. And how's God talking to me about that? So I love the idea that through the Bible um, and th- even through nature and and through dreams, um, God God is. It, it didn't forget about your life. God, God is looking out for you there. So that's what I think of when, when I hear inner Christianity. Yeah. Thank you. That's a, that, that's a lot to think about. And, and, and I think there's a, some really interesting stuff there where I think sometimes with um, mystical Christianity uh, or sometimes more occultic Christianity that if, 
people aren't having quote unquote spiritual experiences, right? If they're not leaving their bodies, seeing angels, uh, experiencing miracles, then they, they feel like they're doing something wrong or the tradition is fake or that they're not spiritual enough. Where I really think the, the message of Christianity, all forms of Christianity, is that it, everything is equal, equally spiritual and miraculous, like what you were talking about, right? There's no, in the, I, I think in some ways the Christian message is um, it's more impressive to uh, encounter your fellow man uh, or woman, you know, to use the general language, human, than it is to to hang out with an angel, right? Because uh, angels aren't actually that that interesting in comparison <laughs> to uh, to the height of creation, which uh, which often in, in Christianity is is, is the human. Um, and you know, we'll talk about the sacraments, but of course, you know, we're looking for miracles. But but for those that belong to sacramental churches, each each sacrament is a literal miracle, and of course, okay. just the miracles that happen through through love. So um, so yeah, I really I really like that i really like that that definition of, of inner christianity curtis and basically you know this show is just me harvesting stuff so i'll sound smarter in the future so i'm going to say stuff like oh you know the the bible it's it's written in the in the same language as dreams did i get that quote right and people <laughs> exactly. are like, wow yeah, man, yeah. That's, that's, that's powerful because it is powerful it's a good one so yeah john yeah. stored 2022 okay um Bishop. Well, I just ripped it. I just ripped it off of other people, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bishop Rosbach, uh, yeah, tell us your thoughts about mystical Christianity, and if uh, if your tradition relates to mystical Christianity or inner Christianity. The Apostolic Joanite Church builds itself as Christian, Hermetic, and Gnostic. So, mystical Christianity has a portion, a part, and a parcel of the Apostolic Joanite Church, but I don't necessarily think that it's core or that our church represents that tradition. I think our church takes part in that tradition. So that's a little bit different. I tend to think of it more as a mystical life and pull from St. Paul, who says to pray without ceasing. And the monks of Mount Athos, who say that every action should be a prayer, you know, aura et labora, work in prayer, St. Benedict's rule. You should be doing everything in a mystical mode. Everything should be a prayer. Everything should be that glorification mm -hmm of the divine in the world. And we can't do that all the time because we're not in under Gnostic theology. We're ignorant and we forget. And that's what we do. We, we honk the horn. We yell at the people <laughs> who are, are, are causing us issues. And we have our own limited perspective concerns and we forget the, the ultimate divine perspective. And so that is how it kind of comes into being a Christian and using these Christian symbols to influence that view that everything is a prayer because we have all these wonderful examples. Curtis, that the, what you were talking about with the Bible speaking directly to us and how that we are the members of it is great. And I remember someone, I don't know who, it could have even been Swedenborg that I read, who talked about you have to go into these Bible stories and not only be Jesus and not only be the apostles. You have to be the Roman who stabbed the side of Jesus. You have to be the women wailing in the street. You have to be Mary at the cross crying for her son. And that gets you into the entirety of the human experience where we're not just these divine beings having this great mystical transformation, but we're suffering beings. We're beings that are existing in the here and now, and we have a limited perspective. And we take part and parcel of these three levels, the divine level, the idyllic psychic level, and the, the hylic level where we're material beings that suffer. Mm. And all of these things are part and parcel of a mystical life. You don't find a mystic who doesn't suffer. You look at St. John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila, and they talk about how they're tormented from time to time. 
and the dark night of the soul. But you also have these great big spiritual uh, events that have the light of the divine shining down upon them. And as a human being, we stand on all three of these levels. We stand on this level where we have the darkness, we have a certain amount of light, and then we have the divine light. And, you know, St. Paul says, right now I see through a glass darkly. He was looking at the light, but he couldn't quite see it. He can't quite see it. And he's hoping that at some point he will get that burst of gnosis and insight and theosis and union with the divine so that he can see clearly. That's what we're trying to do, but you can't make anybody do that. So you have to you have to take all comers. You don't necessarily you can't really push it on people. You have to take those who come. Yeah. They have to be looking for it. You can't can't force the light on people. It'll just burn them. Give them a sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Reverend Evans, a uh, uh, a quick easy question for you: uh, Who is <laughs> Jesus Christ? <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, in what we've been talking about, he is the sacrament. Um, he is the unity of humanity and God that we can actually come to know. And in a way, you could say that's, that's what it means to be human, is to begin in a kind of dreamlike unconsciousness of being made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis, and then take this huge journey through which there had to come one who not only shows us the divine archetype and example of what it means to be truly human, but communes with us, walks with us, forms us, shapes us, as Paul the apostle says, we are being formed in his image and likeness so that we can not only, I mean, otherwise, why, why did we leave the image and likeness of God? You know, why did God guide us into a new step and, and evil enters if we were already done. But we didn't know, we didn't have a free recognition and a real um, knowing of what it means to be truly human until, um, until we fell away from that. And the true sacrament, Christ Jesus, who is both human and God, came and showed us this and now we can we can walk with him know him be formed by him also in and through our lives and not just in what we believe in fact that's often not helpful so that we can become truly fulfill our true humanity so jesus christ is the human who is not only the alpha, but also the omega of what we are to become in this great evolutionary crucible of humanity. Uh, Bishop Rosbach, who is Jesus Christ? That's a really good question. Uh, I, I tend to come at it from a whole bunch of different levels because we have Jesus Christ, the man, and then we have the Christ, the Christos, the anointed, the idea, and then we have the logos, that spiritual reality that are all titles that this being has. And I agree with uh, Reverend Evans that, that there's a becoming element to all of this because God doesn't exist. God is becoming. He's not a bee. He's a becoming. He's a process. He's, 
it, it the the divine isn't something it's something coming it's 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 a verb and i do think that jesus christ is one example of what humanity can become and that's why we call him in our tradition the exemplar uh there was an incarnation there was a person who did these things now maybe with the stories have been embellished but there was a person and that fact of a person being god gives an idea of what all of us could be you know we all could be god if that's what we're seeking but i don't think we all have to be god i don't think that we we have to have that realization at some point so i don't want to say to somebody oh you know you're not god too bad um <laughs> there there are people who that's not the goal of this life and that's not they can't get there for any number of reasons um, and I count myself among one of those. I am not that sort of a mystic that's going to seek sainthood and the div divinity of God. That's not my path. But I think we can take part in it. I think we can have glimpses or periods of time where we, we embody that Christness. And that's part of my motto as a bishop. My motto is Perpetua Euchariste. The Eucharist never ends. And I think that's true. The Thanksgiving, the sacrament, the incarnation of God in the world never ends. And when we do our sacraments or when we do our prayer in our daily life or when we bring the divine into the world in whatever way we can, whether it's art, whether it's our work, whether it's our kindness and our compassion and our understanding, however we bring the divine into the world, we are trying to unite with that image of Christ. Mm. And through that, we unite with the divine as a whole. But I don't think that many of us can exist in that state in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the Eucharist can never end. That's why we mm -hmm. have to continually remind the universe that we are trying. And we're trying to remember that we're in that space and we're in that time. Yeah. No, an amazing way to put it. Um, you know, I was thinking, you know, whoever goes last has lots of time to formulate their, their answers, even cheat, right? They can Google, you know, what is the meaning of life? Um, 42. The meaning 42. of life is 42. Um, Curtis Childs, uh, who is Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, Scott and Jonah's answers. So thank you for, for setting the table so well. Um. Jesus Christ, so we, Swedenborg wrote, we are human because God is. God is the human. And we are an image and likeness of that. Which is something that I feel like sometimes I understand and sometimes I don't. But it, what, to Swedenborg, what made a, someone really human is uh, love and wisdom. Like, certainly the human form is important and actually, you know, I would argue is the form of love and wisdom because um, love being the drive to do something that is good and wisdom being the ability to carry it out. So you see your hand has got the, the muscles, but also like the bones and it, it can do things. It can respond to and want to do things and then do things. But we are human because God is um, some somehow in this infinite form, this infinity that is God, there's humanness in there. We're, we're finite. So we can't, comprehend that we can't process infinity but jesus christ is that unknowable infinity in human form 
this mm -hmm. is like the the um uh the avatar of god mm -hmm. so this mm -hmm. is this is so if if you were and it's also the, the point at which we can form relationship with god so if you say you were having a, t a terrible couple of months and you were just really down on your luck and you'd had some tragedies and you're just like i need your help god jesus that mm -hmm. is the way that god can like actually like give you a hug and, mm -hmm. and and that you could open your eyes and let's say you're having a vision and you could see a person in front of you okay, and they can right. speak to you and they can comfort you and they can heal you so that that is the the, the connection point um jesus so th there's always been this ability of god to somehow you know, tamp down to a form that we can understand and not just some form but that really is god's form with again we are we are human because God is, but Jesus Christ um, actually was that human form of God yeah. taking on a regular human life. And there's, if you want to get in the weeds about that, it was because um, that was so that God could face the same spiritual struggles that we all do. And, mm. and through that set in order the human race, because we had gotten so wrapped up in the self-centeredness and materialism and the things that, that plague the human race. Mm -hmm. um, so in that, in that way, that was, you know, Jesus taking on everything that was trying to, to destroy people, you know, fr from inside. Um, and in doing that forged this new way uh, of being. So I, I, I very much resonated with what the two of you were saying about it's a way you can follow. It's something you can follow. Jesus Christ yeah. is, is, is the way. Yeah, right. the truth and the life so um it seems so, like we're three facets of the same kind of of destination we're three different yeah. paths that kind of get to the same point yeah well and you know i mean you know that's what it's jesus it's jesus exactly. it's so great it's you it's you it's a way swedenborg <laughs> describes it once as um you've you know if you were just to say like form a relationship with a, a void or an expanse mm -hmm. or an infinity but, no, but instead pictures a person yeah. with their arms open, you know, w walking towards you. I mean, why would we go around and put so much energy into trying to have relationships with human beings and learning all the idiosyncrasies of how we connect and communicate and, and all that if, if that wasn't the way you connected with God? So there's an element of that. Yeah, yeah God, God is a person. And every time we're learning to love other people, we are learn seeing the god in them but but also you know more and more being able to connect with the person that that is god so we're we're human right. because god is and jesus christ is is that god as human exactly yeah i like it yeah well, i love it go ahead that's uh, can i just ask that that's a very interesting it seems that there's a very interesting um distinction here that we're we're all kind of uh moving around where god in Jesus is a relatable other is an actual right being that's out also not only in me but also encounterable mm -hmm. and not only a, a guide or a model of what I can become to attain some type of consciousness but actually the person through which I find God there mm -hmm. seems to be a dynamic tension in those two when I hear Curtis talk it's like Jesus is a real encounterable being through which I can find God. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And when I hear Scott, it's a little more like 
Jesus attained a type of consciousness, which I can too. And that consciousness is not shaped like Jesus, but it's infinite and expansive. And so it's a little more of a principle, I think I heard. And I think right. this tension between Jesus as a model of which I can also be like Jesus or Jesus as a partner through which I can find God mm -hmm. is an interesting tension in all of our, you could say, in esoteric Christianity. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the whole idea of Jesus being God is, is part of the Christian tradition. I mean, Jesus is the Christ, which is part of the Trinity, is the Logos. So, and the Trinity is God. And so mm. it's not as though these things are separate. Jesus, the encounterable being, and Jesus, the infinite space as the logos, I mean, the infinite ground of all being that gives form to the world are the same thing. Mm. But so are we. We continually define the world around us like the logos. We are the words that speak reality. You know, uh, there's a, an ontological reality underneath it, but it doesn't mean anything to humans until we describe it, until we say there's a word. I mean, we determine what's good and what's bad by calling it so. And the only reason we know is because of the fruit, right? Mm. We didn't know that before. We didn't have the logos in the Garden of Eden. When we ate the fruit, we mm. also got the logos. But until jesus came we didn't know how to use it yeah. i mean there, there's the whole story of adam naming all the creatures in the garden of eden they don't really exist until they have a name you if know, we find a species that doesn't have a name what is it how can you describe something that doesn't have a name I think all these themes kind of kind of funnel well together, um, you know, kind of like what uh, what, what Curtis is talking about. Uh, Jesus allows us to because Jesus is a person, it allows us to see the personhood of God and have a relation to a being that, that we can't understand. Right. But yeah. uh, because, you know, there's sort of two things, human beings. And I don't want to go evolutionary psychology, but this is kind of the way it is, is that, that human beings are constructed, made, programmed uh, to to be many things but two of those things are relational right we're very mm -hmm. relational to each other we are we're built that way uh my wife and i want to start a family we're, we're reading a lot about babies and it's like they you know if you leave them alone for five minutes they they're little suicide machines they just kill themselves <laughs> right um and even something like breastfeeding it's like it's really difficult mm. to get a baby to latch i'm like what kind of species is this but from from the moment we come out of the womb we desperately need each other right relational mm -hmm. beings and then the other kind of being we are is is storytelling you know, we, yeah. we need, we're constantly creating narratives. And I think that ties in, uh, Bishop Scott, with what you're talking about with, with the naming and the, yes. the reality creation aspects of being human. Um, but this, this narrative, the, the fact that we understand reality through narrative is also why we need Jesus, uh, why us Christians need Jesus, why God uses the Jesus root, because also similar to what, what Curtis was, was talking about, it's it gives us a storyline, a narrative that we can relate to, right? We can mm -hmm. jump into the story of, of Jesus, and uh, uh, and that plays upon the very structures of our minds about how we create uh, uh, by being storytelling animals. So yeah, exactly. I think I think these are, are, are two powerful themes uh, of of, of the Jesus, why we need Jesus, that are very that seem to be tied into what it means to be to be human uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a very you know basic biological sense, even. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think if we, we can think about it like, um, you know, there's definitely the, the coming of Jesus inside you. I, there was, Swedenborg even said that the, the Lord's second coming that he talks mm. about is, is actually a prophecy of the individual birth of Jesus in, in right. each person. And so we could, let's say we're doing this conversation and we're, we're really starting to get into some good things and we're really feeling inspired and that good thoughts are coming out and more and more wisdom is coming out. And we're like, oh, that's coming from God. It's more and more Jesus is in this conversation. And that's one thing. But then if like a fifth window popped up and it was <laughs> Jesus Christ, we don't, everything would change. It's like, oh, what are you going to say? So it's like, yeah, we, 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 you're working inside of us and we can encounter you. And I was thinking, Jonah, about what you said about the tension. Yeah, um, space and time, attention. space and time, right? You, you can't, mm-hmm. thinking about um, spiritual things, you can't be thinking in terms of space and time. Because if you think of Jesus as, Jesus is one person, well, where is Jesus? Is he in mm-hmm. Connecticut right now? Where is he getting, how fast can he get the, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to Montreal from there? <laughs> but if you think of, oh yeah, Jesus, like in every situation, like Jesus is here, Jesus is here. Where is, where are we? It starts to open up this, how could it be, that there's a finite thing with a form that you're thinking of who is infinitely everywhere. You're not thinking in terms of space and time. I'm not saying it makes easy sense, but it starts to become a little more digestible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, uh, and, and of course, you know, I'm always going to relate things to to the traditions I know best, right? So sort of the Gnostic and, and Hermetic traditions. Uh, but but talking about uh, you know uh, God is human right so so we have that in the Jesus story but but in the Gnostic story there's often like this idea of Anthropos who mm-hmm. is who is an emanation of of God who is who is a divine human before having a body and, it, and that's it's that emanation that that falls into matter that that becomes mm-hmm. a human in in some different Gnostic systems yeah, and, right. and I think that yeah I I really like that 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 humans sort of even started off in in the divine realm as radically human, right? God emanates something that yes. is, that is human, even without yeah. being material. So, right. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, are you folks good? Uh, we're, we're coming on an hour, but are you guys good to go for like a, a half an hour? Does anybody need to need to jet out? I'm good. Okay. Oh, I'm good. It's great. Yeah. No, yeah, I know. I, 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 I could, I could go all day, all day but we should, <laughs> we, we, we should have up at some point. I'm, I'm sure you, you have things you need to get to, or at least probably want to sleep, eat, or live your lives. Okay, <laughs> so, so we solved, uh, we solved that easy question. Um, uh, 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 Curtis, uh, tell us what is the human? Just what we were talking about. Is it some kind of animal? Is it a god? Is it a being made in the image of God? And I know we were just sort of discussing that, but I guess if you can make it explicit, what is? What is what is this thing? What what is this human? Sure. Well, I'll just I'll just replay my my previous beginning to my answer. So, God is the human. God is the human, and what human is is the ability to love and the ability to grow wise. That that's the core of what it is to be human. Everything else, sure, the the human form is a part of it, but that's the core of what it is to be human. When most people are saying you know, what are humans? We're talking about what are we as creatures on planet earth? And I think that we are, we have a bit of animal in us and a bit of God in us. So we are absolutely, we share a lot of characteristics with animals. Our our bodies are built the same way. We've got the same, a lot of the same, if you get into the mammalian kingdom, we've got a lot of the same stuff as them and, and a lot. And some of our mind is the same. Mm. If you know, I've got a dog, 
there's some mm-hmm. times when I'm like, well, come on, what do you do? But other times I'm like, oh yeah, I, I get it, man. I'm exactly like that. So there, <laughs> there are these different levels right. to, to our nature. Um, mm-hmm. Human is actually something that in Swedenborgian tradition is aspirational. So mm. something that you're really trying to become is human. Become and human. I think we have a little bit of this in our language where when somebody, and it's specifically, it's, it's a moral thing because mm. when somebody does something unconscionable, we say that's inhuman. Mm. And we, we say, or the, the humanity, mm. this is, there's something about, um, or, or like if you treat someone, if you're treating someone like an object, you say, that's a human being, you know, that there, there is something about, we know that, that humanity is a bit aspirational. So there's, there's us, just because you look like a human, just because you have the image of, of the human, which is the God, doesn't mean you're also a likeness of. So the image mm. is that you resemble it. The likeness is that you act like it. And so mm. God as the human is constantly trying to make us more human throughout our lives. So that would be, that. that's what all the, the teaching uh, of Jesus Christ, that's what all the, the Ten Commandments, all the, the spiritual path is to make us human. And mm. that, so that, because if you think of human, humans are great, great. like we, we, we are very cool looking things. And <laughs> Some what of we're us. trying to do is, yeah, right. Well, I mean, in theory, you know, I, I'm getting to be less and less with every passing yeah, year. Me too. Um, but, but, but what we're trying to do is have the inside match the outside. Mm. And because you, you'll get it too with, um, and I'm just going to kind of stream of consciousness this, but with um, if somebody who's, who's committed horrific crimes, like a serial killer or something, people will say, you see a picture of them. You say, I can't believe that somebody that just looks like a human would act like that. Like it doesn't match the inside and outside doesn't match. And a right. lot of just our, our selfish tendencies and all that don't match with the, positive veneer we put out and what the effort is of of god is to make us human which is that we have this form that is built for usefulness i I think we talked before about the frailty of humans i I, swedenborg says god created the universe so that usefulness could exist usefulness Mm -hmm. being doing something Mm -hmm. that helps someone else and we are the ultimate Mm -hmm. creation in that as as you were uh just mentioning we can help like crazy and we need help like crazy. So we absolutely, each one of us increases the amount of usefulness in the universe, because not only can I do all kinds of things to make people's lives better, I need, I need people to help me make my life better. When I was a baby, I needed people to, to base, keep me alive, as you're saying, but even now, like I need this kind of community that you all are providing here. I, I need the people that, that um, when my sink breaks in the basement, and somebody comes and knows how to work that magic on the plumbing to get mm-hmm. it to stop leaking. Ah, oh, that's a, that I, awesome. I, I, I need, I can appreciate that and need that in a way that my dog has, he has some things he really needs, but there's so much more. We, we need psychological care. We need community and belonging on these deeper ways. We need spirituality. So we are, um, we are humans are the ultimate opportunity to give and receive in, in usefulness, which you could say give and receive in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, uh, I, I think a theme that that's already been coming out and will probably come out in the next couple of answers as well, which is th there's this becoming aspect to, to humanity. And I really mm -hmm. love that, that this seems to be something that, that we're all discussing. And, you know, there's a Nietzsche quote, which is something like, uh, well, I guess it's translated, so it's all right if I get it wrong. But, you know, the, the entire point of, of becoming uh, of human is becoming who you are or your life's journey is just to become who you are. And mm -hmm. I, I think this is a really important point to emphasize for for my community and the, I, and I, I guess for me and Bishop Scott's community, which is you know we were also uh, uh, come from a Gnostic church, and I think a mm -hmm. lot of people who are coming to Gnosticism, to Gnosticism with a capital G, often want to get away from this world. They want to get away from being human. Mm -hmm. They want mm -hmm. to be something that that is divine that they think is completely separate from being human. They want to change into this, and 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 I understand that particularly every time I turn on the news nowadays. Right, that this wanting to to get away. And this is also a Christian impulse, I think. That that that's outside of Gnosticism, right? Uh, you see it a, a lot with evangelicals, but you know, this is not our home. We want to get out of here. But uh, I, I think the, the paradoxically, that the central one of the central messages of many forms of Gnosticism, as well as most forms of Christianity, is is you know, it's an incarnational religion. You know the. Mm -hmm. The, the this this is the staging ground of reality and there might be other realities and we may go there after we die but this is this this is what we have for right now and this is somehow some sort of a expression of, of divinity and we need to work with that expression of divinity not just you know try to uh to to, to get out the, the escape hatch but uh uh reverend evans why don't you tell us about uh, about some of these themes and what what is the human what is what is this, this strange uh, hairless monkey <laughs> in my case well, I guess I guess Scott has my my yeah. shine too. <laughs> same barber. We have the same yeah, barber. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. I'll be joining you soon enough. It's easy. It's great. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's such a good question, and I could just say amen to what Curtis said as well. Um, we definitely work with the picture of that the human being is 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 in becoming we are in evolving to our true humanity and that's why we call our eucharist service the act of consecration of human of the human being mm -hmm. so in, in that whole title even though it's long and somewhat awkward um it's saying that our eucharist service which isn't just limited like i think scott was saying isn't just limited to that place in that building, but is meant to become expansive throughout our whole life, this sacramentalism. Mm -hmm. That gesture is that we're, we're trying to become human. And we're, we're doing that in a way, like Curtis said, by learning freely to love, which mm -hmm. means becoming wise as well. Um, but it also has to do with transforming the beast in us. And so if we follow the pictures, the divine revelations of the, of the, of the scripture, we were originally in, already in the image and likeness of God, but then through the fall, our image and our being became disheveled, imbalanced, twisted. And so therefore we need medicine brought in and through the being of Christ Jesus to gradually reattain this image and likeness hmm. but this time through freedom as opposed to it just being bestowed on us before so 
this journey from evolving, you could say the the fallen nature of our being into a more into the angelic nature of the being that can love and freedom um, is we used to, I, I remember I used to take my confirmation students to when I lived in New York City, Times Square. And I would ask each each one of them to pick a partner two by two, and they would have to go up to strangers in Times Square and ask them, have the courage to ask a stranger, what is the human being? The greatest developed animal or the lowest developed angel? This was their task. And of course they were nervous and the people at first were like, what? But they harvested a lot of answers. And you know what the most common answer was? It surprised me. Because I thought people were gonna say the highest developed animal. But most of the answers were both. (laughs) The human being lives in this dynamic, evolving tension between its beastliness evolving into its angelicness. Um, And in our tradition, Christ Jesus not only is the model of that, but is the one shaping us through that also with grace. Mm -hmm. Not only grace, but... That's a part of it. Interesting. Uh, Bishop Scott, what what is the human? This is an opinion. <laughs> I want to be clear on that. This is an opinion. You're but safe, I like, buddy. You're safe. <laughs> I like what, what Curtis and Jonah are saying about there being the two parts. There's the divine and there's the animal. But the part that I think is missing is what was alluded to by Jonah just now. And that's the tension. Mm and the choice. So I think I'm Trinitarian through and through. So that's that third part. You've Mm -hmm. got the animal, you've got the divine, but what the divine doesn't have and what the animal doesn't have is the choice. Mm -hmm. The divine cannot be animal. The animal cannot be divine. Only the human has Mm -hmm. the choice. And they can choose to act like an animal or they can choose to act divine. And you have Cain and Abel as your symbols. And then you have Jesus who embodies the making of that choice, the choosing to be divine constantly. Mm. So that choice is what makes the human unique. That choice is why we are not animals and why we are not divine. We are that that mix between the two, but we are something completely different. And if you if you follow Christian theology, that's why Satan was mad. Because the angels had free will, but they didn't they cannot partake of the animal. They cannot incarnate. They cannot be physical. They're celestial. They cannot do that. So even the lowliest devil can't move a rock. All it can do is talk. It can say every word in the world because it partakes of the divinity of the logos, but it can't move a thing. Only humans can work with the base and the divine at the same time. And only humans can make the base bring divinity into the base so that the base becomes divine again. Mm -hmm. 
there's the human is that transitional layer. It is not only the, the it doesn't ex just exist in the tension, but it can travel back and forth across the barrier. It's the only one. Yeah. Well, Trinitarian through and through. And, uh, you know, there is an ancient tradition that, that the Gnostics introduced the idea of the Trinity. And I'm really glad <laughs> that, you know, sometimes people uh, in our particular community can get a little too focused on, you know, non-commodity texts and uh, um, sort of ancient theologies that don't really mesh well together when we have this uh, amazing toolbox of the last 2,000 years of Trinitarian theology to, to draw upon. <laughs> um, uh, Reverend Evans, you've, uh, a few times now, you've mentioned the sacraments. So that, that leads me to the question, like, the, not a, really, I should be saying, you know, the one way to phrase the question would, would be what spiritual practices should we be doing? But I should start mm. with, should we be doing spiritual practices? <laughs> and then why? And then, you know, what practices? The, the sacraments that you've mentioned, prayers, visualizations, study of holy books, all of the above, none of the above. So, yeah, <laughs> tell us about spiritual practice in, in, in your community. Well, first of all, probably similar to all of your traditions, freedom is held at such a high sacredness. Um, so we don't use the word should much. <laughs> um, we, we want to really just work out of what's working for us. And if someone's inspired by that, then hallelujah. So it's out based on this understanding that also Christ Jesus himself is is cultivating and caring for our freedom. Similar to, to when he comes up to Peter in John 20 and says, do you love me? As opposed to, you must love me. Yeah, He's interested in the free answer that Peter gives. Right. Because like Scott was saying, this is so much to do with what it means to be truly human. In a way you could say the true human being is is in embryo, the earth, we're, we're in utero, we're gestating into another hierarchy, the 10th hierarchy, that can love in freedom like no other angel. And this is very much the conception that Rudolf Steiner had and also guides us that we're trying to become this being, this new being that can love in freedom, whose model is Jesus Christ. But it must be in freedom. So any practice, whether it be meditative, I mean, if you look into anthroposophy, anyone who just takes a cursory look can see tons of examples or any prayer or devotional life, anything that would help you to deepen that becoming in yourself and in community towards love and freedom, or as, as Curtis put it, wisdom united with love, then amen, do it, work with it. Um, and anything that leads you away from that, puts you too much in your head or makes you too arrogant, whatever, get rid of it. <laughs> so um, yes, we have a number of practices that we encourage and that we do ourselves. The priesthood has a breviary of meditative prayers three times a day um, given by Rudolf Steiner that are absolutely helpful in this becoming. But it's not ever a you must, you should. But this can help you. 
become more and more in communion with Christ Jesus. And can you tell us uh, the, the Christian community's perspective on, on sacraments? Which ones do you do? And uh, are they symbols or are they uh, uh, miracles? Or, or, or what's up with sacraments in your, in your tradition? Well, the, the seven sacraments are practice. And again, they're understood as the, the forms of them. Rather than just taking the orthodox forms, it was seen and understood by Rudolf Steiner through experience that those forms no longer meet the needs of Christ Jesus in his new revelation because the sacraments are meant to reveal his being and commute, help us commune with him. And they no longer serve the evolved human being and humanity on earth because we've changed and we've evolved. For example, we have now the internet and electricity throughout the globe. And he understood the act of consecration to be a counterbalance to that reality coming. So, for example, they're not a symbol, so to speak, or a miracle, unless you understand symbol as being a real doorway into a spiritual reality. And they're a miracle, not in the sense that we can't explain it, or it's just just grace, but it's a miracle in that, it, in that every communion with the human free human heart and God's real being and the effects of that communion that's always a miracle <laughs> wherever it happens and we don't we're not like the catholic church that thinks the only place to find Christ Jesus is in our sacraments that's very big difference we're not institutionally arrogant in that sense but we are saying that there's a new revelation of Christ. There's a new type of human being. And the sacrament can be a place of union and communion. And your life, in fact, your karma, your very life is a sacrament. So the sacrament and the altar helps us learn how to do sacrament in life. Okay. Uh, uh, Curtis, can you tell us about... Uh... The Swedenborg approach to spiritual practice, I guess, should people be doing spiritual practices? Which ones? And maybe tell us a, a bit about the, the Swedenborg Church's approach to sacraments. You know, do you folks do stuff like baptism, communion, last rites? And what is what is sort of your theological opinions on those uh, on those acts and sacraments? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the um, the theory and then, then the practice. So all of the external actions so any rituals any ceremonies i would put all those in the category of piety mm. so swedenborg describes those as a piety that's your external religious observance in your life and piety only really does something if it's in conjunction with uh, the church inside you mm. so on their own baptism it's 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 water. I mean, if you if you go and get the baptism, and then lead a life that's against uh, goodness and truth, a, a life that's against the human beings around you, the baptism isn't doesn't have an effect. And it's the same thing with the uh, communion or holy supper, as it's sometimes called. That you can go and, and take that ceremony, but if you're not doing the the um, Swedenborg asserted that the the bread and the wine are symbolic of goodness and truth. 
in in that and, and divine love and divine wisdom but you're not you're not actually going and living the life that those things prescribe then you're, you're eating bread and, mm. and drinking wine um just like anybody knows that somebody can say i'm a christian and then go out and, and do horrible mm. things and, and are they what, what, what makes it so mm. uh it's not that so so life can trump rituals life can trump rituals but the rituals are not meaningless or, or not needed mm. he does seem to say that getting baptized ha- can have an effect on your spirit that it actually sort of is like a, a tag that says this person is in the christian thing and so that actually affects your connection to to heaven in in a certain way so mm. it's supposed to be a symbol of the repentance that you'll be doing throughout your life but it has so there's some spiritual mm. meaning in it as well the um the communion or the holy supper is very can be very powerful if if you have taken the internal steps first of doing repentance and reformation which we'll get to in a second then the the, cul- the that ritual can be a, a culmination of those and a cementing of it. it can it can really affect you but but only if it's in conjunction with what's inside so the yeah. the re- repentance and reformation are the main practices so that repentance is begins with self-examination and this is this is the core spiritual practice the core spiritual practice is self-examination so i'm going to look at myself and try to see is there anything in there that i think isn't good so not that somebody else is telling me i'm bad mm-hmm. for having but if, if i look and say this tendency of mine or these actions that i do or, or this craving that i'm feeding i don't think that that's that's actually loving and wise and so i i want to i think that that's in some way against the ten commandments and that the swedenborg says there's a spiritual meaning to each of those which is more uh broad so for example the the commandment against killing in its spiritual meaning also is a commandment against hatred and against attacking somebody's livelihood or reputation so so those kind of broadened out if, I, if there's something in me that i think is against those i identify it i ask god for help and then i i don't do it or i, I do it less whichever the case may be whichever we, we can pull off in the moment so that's the core spiritual mm-hmm. practice and then mm-hmm. when you're doing a life of that then these these rituals the, the piety can be important so that that's in the books that he wrote he had some that were very you know, very um theologically focused and and wrote out specifically what which rituals were important uh chris the swedenborgian churches yeah they'll they'll do um baptism and uh holy supper and um funerals and and um weddings and, and betrothal so you get like engaged or betrothed before you're mm-hmm. married um i think that's it mm-hmm. uh i so those are the main ones and but they they they're all dependent on what's your mm-hmm. what's your internal practice so repentance mm-hmm. and reformation uh, that's that's the engine that, that makes it go and it can you know the, the plane can fly higher if you're doing those rituals but they're not they don't make or break your chances to get into heaven or or to 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 reform very cool okay uh the bishop scott uh sacraments spiritual practices uh what have you unleash 
Should mm -hmm. should we be doing spiritual practices? Again, I'm not speaking for the church. This is my own personal <laughs> opinion. Absolutely not. Um, you should not be doing spiritual practices at all. You should avoid them like the plague because <laughs> they will disrupt your life. Mm -hmm. If you start using these technologies, you will not be the same. Your life will change and there's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't matter if you believe in the rituals or not. They are a technology that will change your spiritual and ide ide ideational, I guess, the mental life. So your mental life and your spiritual life will change as a result of doing these rituals and these practices. And unless you want that to happen, don't do it. <laughs> I'm serious because these things are dangerous. If you're living a material life and you're content with it, this shit will fuck you up. <laughs> it will. Um, yeah, no, it, it, uh, amen. Amen. You, you go to, if you start thinking about the infinite and the ultimate, your whole perspective changes. And suddenly mm -hmm. doing the uh, TPS report for next week doesn't matter. You're worried about your immortal soul. You're wondering, how do I be a good person? You start thinking about these ultimate questions. And that's hard on a life. That can be hard <laughs> on interacting with other people who aren't doing that. You know, how do you talk about who won or lost the football game if you're thinking about the peace that you felt during the Eucharist? And how that conflict is just artificial and you don't want to be part of it. <laughs> so I am serious when I say if you're undertaking a spiritual experience or a spiritual practice, make sure you know what you're getting into. This is not for the faint of heart. This is life changing stuff. We in the Apostolic Joni Church provide a environment for people who want to do these kind of things. Yeah. So if you want to do the seven sacraments, you certainly can. We have Eucharists, we have confession, repentance, uh, what are the, the penitential rite. We have the unction of the sick. Uh, we have a confirmation and a baptism and uh, the other two that I'm missing at the moment. Marriage and, oh God, what's the last one? Why do I always forget the last one? Baptism, of course. So baptism, confirmation, marriage. These are communal um, uh, sacraments. So they help to bind the Joanite mm. community together. You get married as a Joanite. You become a Joanite through baptism. You commit yourself to the church as a confirmation. And we have a reception for people who've already been baptized and confirmed in a Christian tradition as well. Uh, that's not a sacrament, but it's sacramental. Um, we have your uh, penance and your unction of the sick for if you feel that there is some wrong upon your soul that you cannot let go of by yourself. Mm. And you need to talk to a divinity in order to do it. And the priest stands in for the divinity. The priest only can do the sacrament while wearing the stole, acting as a priest. And the priest can never, ever reveal anything that happened during the sacrament. Mm. That is, a, that is a private thing between the participant, the two participants, which is God and the divine. And the priest is just there to give that focus that Curtis was talking about when we were talking about Jesus, that relationship. You know, there are people who can't 
do the relationship on their own and they require another person to stand in. If you do, fine. If you don't, it's not a requirement. We don't say that you must repent in this particular way. If, it, if you and God can have that relationship without the priest there, this is not my place as a priest to worry about it. If your soul is clear with God, your soul is clear with God. Um, unction of the sick is a special case because it's usually performed on people who can't seek that relief of any spiritual indebtedness themselves. And so we pray for their souls and we ask God to do it for them. And we stand in for the person, not the divine. In that place, we are the person who is ill and we are asking for forgiveness for anything that may not have been forgiven during life or that they may not have gotten to, to reconcile in their own life. Interesting. Uh, the Eucharist is the, the neither fish nor fowl. It is communal. It is personal. It is divine. It is material. It is, it is the prime beauty of the sacraments because it is the humanity within us, the base animal, using the materials of the base animal, food and drink, to ask the divine to come into the world. The base and the divine unite in a specific time, a specific place that is every time and every place. And through that collapsing of these tensions, through that collapsing of these opposites, we enter into that ineffable space and time. We enter into the divinity as the divinity itself. Yeah. And that's why I don't think you should do it if you are not <laughs> ready for that. Yeah. Because you do that the first time and you get a little, little bit of it. And it grows with repetition until it, it will take over. It will consume you and you will get that theosis at some point. And I'm not saying that as somebody who's who's like this is this is an effort on the person's part i'm saying this is a technology and if you use that technology it will have an effect mm. it you input in input out <laughs> that's mm. how technology works if you spend the time participating in this ritual you will eventually end up united with god that's mm. what it does that's mm. communion now, will we see it? I don't know. Will it be evident in humanity in the in the world that we see with our eyes? Who could say? Will it be evident through your actions? I would hope so. I would hope that if you participate in the Eucharist and listen to the homilies and take the bread and the wine, which is the body and blood of the living Christ, into yourself and become that, that your life will change. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're only about uh, halfway halfway through my uh, my question sheet, my topic sheet, but we sh we should start to wrap up. Hopefully, we can okay. do it again someday. Yeah. Um, this would be great. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's been really awesome. Uh, I I think uh, it's a dialogue that I've gotten a lot out of, and uh, I can assure uh, you all that uh, that, that yeah. listeners and audience are, are really going to appreciate it as all uh, as well. So that said, uh, wrap up time. If you could tell us a bit about you know where people can find you, if you have an online presence, where people can find your local community, if you have a local community, and if people are are curious about your broader tradition, how how can you get uh, involved? Do you have to be born into it? 
Can you dip a toe in? Do you have to instantly convert? So tell us about all that good stuff. Uh, so Curtis Childs, uh, tell us about where people can find you online and, and what to do if they want to be involved in the works of, uh, of Swedenborg and the uh, Swedenborg movements. Sure. Um, YouTube.com slash off the left eye. I have a YouTube channel called Off the Left Eye that I do with the Swedenborg Foundation. We've got more than a thousand videos getting very deep into the weeds of everything Swedenborg related on there. So if you if you are intrigued at all by that worldview, you can go in and, and learn. We also have uh, Swedenborg.com that and you can download all of his books for free there. Uh, and we're working on new translations of those. Um, so that that's where I'm mainly involved, and it's it's a not for profit. It's not a, a, a church organization. Um, there are Swedenborgian churches that that have um, a presence in in North America, Europe, and then some some globally as well, Africa and Asia. Um, and they you just uh, there's um, Swedenborg.org is the Swedenborgian Church of North America. Newchurch.org is the general church of the new jerusalem um but i would say first you want to go to youtube.com slash off the left eye because that's where you can start you, we've done a lot of work to make it your journey into those ideas comfortable and, and easy and fun as much as it can be when you're talking about the nature of reality <laughs> yeah. okay uh Reverend evans uh, lay it on us well, <clears throat> uh, the ChristianCommunity.org is a good place to start, and you can try to find a community near you. Um, my colleague, I, I also direct the, the seminary of the Christian community where we train priests here in Toronto, and it's one of three seminaries in, in the world. The others are in Germany, um, where my colleague Patrick Kennedy and I have a podcast and we, we, we do that on Patreon. So our podcast is called The Light in Everything. And you can very much learn about the ideas and pictures of the Christian community through that as well. Um, we also have ChristianCommunitySeminary.org where you can certainly find out more about our theology and our courses. Really cool. Uh, the Bishop Scott. Uh, you can find me at Our Lady of the Woods Parish. We're finally starting to get an online presence. Uh, I've been, uh, for years in the Apostolic Joni Church, I've been kind of in the background and I'm kind of coming to the forefront at this point. Uh, I, I did a lot of background work, uh, like structural and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm starting to have a public presence. Uh, so buffalojunction.joanite.org is our website. It hasn't been updated in a while, but things are coming. Uh, of course, you can always go to the joanite.org site. Uh, the Statement of Principles will take you to the main site, and that'll let you learn about our spirituality, who our personalities are. You can find Lovely Talk Gnosis and certain other podcasts mm -hmm. and YouTube channels there. So please check it out, and uh, that's where I can be contacted. Also, if you have general email questions about the Joanite Church, you can reach us at info at joanite.org. Perfect. 
Okay, and then uh, my my plugs, uh, just very quickly, uh, we run the show uh, on Patreon. So patreon.com slash Gnostic. You can donate for as little as a dollar per piece of media per month, but you can put a cap on that. Uh, we can't do the show without your financial support. Uh, so uh, feel free to throw us a few bucks uh, there. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't give anything to our patrons, but we want to. It's just we haven't figured out anything except for early access to the shows, and we don't want to put any shows behind uh, paywalls. You can do one-time donations at paypal.me slash Gnostic. And if you can't help us out financially, we understand. Uh, just uh, tell people about the show, share it on your social media, like, subscribe, and uh, leave good reviews and ratings. That, that helps us out quite a bit. Okay, everybody. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully we'll do another panel like this again. But uh, panelists, uh, it's been amazing. I've learned uh, quite a bit. And uh, I know that everybody interested and passionate about uh, Christian mysticism, mysticism in general, has, has all had their minds blowing. So thanks again. And uh, <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you. Thanks, everyone. Good to meet you.